Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. You heard the man. You know what's coming next. It's a Wednesday on Wesson Walker. I hope everybody prepared accordingly. Fitty reminded me about 10 minutes ago that it's a war cry Wednesday. It is what we do on the hub days to get us through the week. To get us to a Thursday, a football night action tomorrow. That's going to be fantastic. We've got Carolina this weekend. We're going to get some clarity on things. Not only big picture, but Frank Reich speaking to the media. We all want to know about Brian Burns and that situation. We want to know about some of the injuries that the wide receivers have been suffering. Are they a full go against the Atlanta Falcons? The depth chart is released. We're getting closer, Wes. And I believe... That would make a lot of people want to yell, don't you? Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, how good would you feel tomorrow morning? You already felt good this weekend on the Saturday, the Monday, the Sunday, knowing you had good college football if you're into it like that. But then on Thursday, you really know it's really on. You're getting football just nonstop. I'm ramping up. I mean, we already did. We were – that was collectively – as good a mood as we've all been in before. No doubt. And it's not like we haven't all been in great moods, but we were flying. College football delivered in every every sense of the word. All sorts. It delivered for us this weekend, and we were all so happy about it. And now we're about to get the NFL this weekend. It calls for a war cry, right? No doubt about it. Like, it calls for a yell. No I'm, matter what's going on on Wednesday, it calls for a war uh, Okay, so this is the time. Everybody prepare. If you're at work. Even if it's just a little woo, like Wes said that one time talking about the Ric Flair documentary. (laughs) Just give us that if you're at work. Or if you just want to go ahead and yell it while everybody looks at you, that's fine too. If you're in your car, you don't have any excuse. I don't care if you got kids in the car. I don't care if your baby's sleeping. I need you to go ahead and yell. It's War Cry Wednesday on Wes and Walker. At the count of three, let's do the damn thing. One, two, three. Mr. Bus Driver, open up the doors. Let's get off the bus. Let's get off the bus. Okay. We're ready to go. We got some hot takes for your face in the first segment of today's show. Top 25 college football rankings. We told you yesterday in a fitty flash, we got some ACC teams up there. Clemson sneaks into the top 20, or almost, it barely is in the top 25. Duke sneaks in after their win against Clemson. Clemson damn near falls out. They are right smack dab at 25. North Carolina had an impressive showing. Florida State moves up to four after their monster win against LSU. If the season ended today, Florida State would be in the college football playoff. I guess we'll play a few more games to decide whether that is going to become true or not. What do you make of the ACC teams listed in the top 25 here, Wes? Is this a football conference after week one of the college football season? Uh, No doubt about it, man. You like it. Like you said, Clemson could have easily fallen out. They're still in there. Then you got Duke, North Carolina in the mix as well. Florida State up in the top. 
four sitting there at fourth. So, you know, hopefully some more teams will get into the mix as the season goes along because you had others receiving votes. Miami got votes. NC State got votes as well. Uh, each of those teams has good games coming up in addition to uh, the teams that are already in the top 25. We, talk, we talked about the ACC overall having a good weekend, despite Clemson having by far the biggest change in ranking from going to number nine to number 16, a 16 spot drop as an 0-1 football team. Clemson is behind Tulane. <laughs> They're behind the green wave. That's no disrespect to Tulane, but Clemson is about to fall out of the top 25. One more mishap. So it's not a great start for the Tigers. Yeah, they're as we they're all saw a not Duke. fantastic showing against Charleston Southern, perhaps away from coming out of the top 25. I mean, if you're talking about like a what, 17 or less point victory, <laughs> are they falling out if we get another impressive? Maybe so. so. So talk to me about, is Clemson clearly the biggest thing to note here, or is it Duke going to number 21? Is it Florida, Sna- uh, Florida State sneaking in that top four, Alabama third, Michigan two, Georgia one? Well, what would you say is the biggest takeaway from the top 25? No question about it. Seeing Clemson sitting there at 25. I mean, this is a team that took a very precipitous drop from nine to 25. And so you know that their season is already on the brink. I think that the college football playoffs is pretty much out for this team unless they just really go on a serious tear. But I think that's the big thing to take away is that a team that started the season in the top 10 that a lot of people felt like uh, was at least going to stay in that realm, maybe not be national champions, maybe not get into the college football playoffs, but maybe a team that could stay in that top 10 to 12 is already on the brink of being out. All right, let's go to the text line. I have a question for you, but I want to read some of these texts on a war cry Wednesday. 704 said, Fitty, don't hurt yourself or pass out this week on this war cry Wednesday. 203 numbers lit. 203. No, there's plenty of lit numbers out there. Panther Bo said woo with a bunch of exclamation points with a, with a bunch of uh, capitalized O's in there. Uh, Michael, the 49er fan, our boy, he said, Wes, I can feel it now. War cry Wednesday. You guys are going to give us the breaking news on Nick's new record breaking deal. <laughs> Discussing that, of course, in San Francisco, but Kyle was talking about it in the fishbowl. Yeah. It's like Nick Bosa might be missing week one as he is not reporting to any of the team meetings or anything like that. So prognosis for 49er fans don't look good for Nick Bosa, which might mean that the prognosis doesn't look great for Brian Burns to play in week one against the Atlanta Falcons. We'll talk about that a little bit later on as well when we start to hunker down and discuss more Carolina Panther football stuff. I did want to get into more of our rankings, tier rankings. Drew came in. Big shout out to Drew who usually comes in with wild takes. I mean, just brain-melting, what-did-I-just-hear kind of takes. Right. You've heard it on this show and the Kyle Bailey show. When he came in, he was asking a question I thought was an interesting one. How would you rank these ACC teams when it comes to tiers? So what he asked was, is Florida State in a tier by themselves? Nobody else in their tier with them. And then we go to tier two. Is it okay to put North Carolina and Duke and Clemson in there? Would you have Clemson fall back? Is there another team you expect to be in that group after a week two showing? Wes, how would you just go with the top two, right? We don't need to go to tier three, four, whatever. Just give me the top two. Is it Florida State by themselves? And then we have Clemson, North Carolina, and Duke. How would you rank those? Uh, I would go at this point. I'm going to go Florida State and Duke. 
in the tier one. You oh, have to give Duke, Duke their credit for sure. Okay. I mean, Duke, as I said, the season they came off of, they had a fantastic opening win over a top 10 team. No matter what you feel like Clemson might have been or might not have been, they still beat the brakes off of a team that was in the top 10 by three scores. So I think that you have to put them in there. Florida State, of course, had a phenomenal victory uh, as well. Looked very, very impressive. So I think they are the top of the ACC right now because they had two uh, wins over top 10 teams apiece. And then after that, I think you put Carolina in that next tier as far as what you're seeing from them to start the year. Nice win over South Carolina, but that South Carolina team also is – you know, had a lot of moving parts. It was a first game and different things of that nature. But Carolina came out and showed and proved. So I think you have to put them uh, in that mix as well. And then after that, there's, there's still a lot of doubt about these teams. A lot of questions to be answered because Miami, they did look impressive in their opening win uh, to an extent. But you want to see a little bit more from them. NC State as well. They have a chance to see what they've got right. going with Notre Dame coming in this week. Pitt, the same thing. So I think there are a lot of teams in Tier 2 that still have a lot to prove. I think Miami is a good mention as a team to watch out for to possibly enter it. But I think right now, I think Florida State's in a tier by themselves as it currently stands. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to catch you with your Duke love. I want to be there. I'm trying. Right? right? I'm trying. You I keep can't... looking at the helmet. I, I, no. Well, no. I. That's what you do. I'm looking at the talent. I love Duke. Uh-huh. Duke is great. Uh-huh. I can't have them with Florida State right now. I can't. I came into the season thinking Florida State was legit, that all the hype was real. And they played what I think we can both agree on is a more talented team in LSU. Maybe. They, they do have the dudes. Mm-hmm. And you've been down, even if the polls had Clemson in the top 10, even you were down on the Clemson Tigers coming into this year more so. So I think Clemson is in that second tier with Florida State being in a group by themselves. I think Jordan Travis is going to be a Heisman candidate. I think watching those wide receivers go at it was absolutely bonkers with Johnny Wilson dropping a few footballs and still looking like a very good one and Keon Coleman looking like a, you know, a first round NFL draft pick. That's what it looks like with Keon Coleman. I love Trey Benson. Jared Verse also is going to be a top 10 pick. There are just top 10 picks. There are first round picks over there where with Duke, they have athletes. They have really good football players. I just think Florida State with what they showed, I think that there is a tier. There's a gap. And then there's Duke. I would rank them second. And then I'd put North Carolina Clemson. And the Clemson conversation is what I'm most interested in, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. Because did they show enough in a loss to Duke? And do they get the benefit of the doubt based off what they've accomplished in previous years to stay there? Or are we so out on them after that performance against the Blue Devils that we drop them to an entirely different one? I'm not going that far. I think you get into this weird space where you even underrate Duke again if you think Clemson doesn't be uh, isn't deserving of being in that second group so Clemson North Carolina Duke I think they're all in tier two with a gap between them and Florida State uh yeah I mean like I said I I just think people a lot of times they get caught up in looking at the helmet yeah Florida State definitely does have some ballers there's no question about it but they beat Duke beat a team by three scores that Florida State hadn't beaten in seven years so, uh, but no it's matter. a different team. That, that's, that's I mean, the yeah, with you Clemson. can slice it, but seven years Florida State hadn't beat Clemson, and there's been a lot of different teams in those seven years. And so, uh, you know, so I can't. I'm not just going to get caught up in the fact that yeah, Florida State has some NFL draft picks. There's no question about that. But Florida State they, and they beat a, a good LSU football team. 
but I'm not going to discredit what this Duke team did last season and what they're doing coming into this year. They might not have the names. They might not have top-flight NFL talent at every single position, but what they've been doing is just going out on the field and winning. Florida State beat six uh, you know, subpar to average teams to end the year last year. They come out and get a good win against LSU to start the season for sure, but I'm still going to put both of them uh, up there in that in that tier one. As far as Clemson is concerned, uh, with what we saw from them, yeah, it didn't look good, and I think they lost to a really good Duke team that obviously everyone knew that I had picked uh, to beat them, so I'm not going to completely call Clemson out of it. Uh, we have to see how they look going forward. It's certainly not looking how it should look at this juncture. Well, no, and and I'm with you. Like I'm I'm trying to give Duke credit. See, you're saying I'm looking at the helmets, but you like, are. Well, look, if we look at you're t- you've always said Florida State's season last year mm-hmm. was beating up on a lot of bad teams, but that this year they beat LSU, which we all had high hopes for. Like they look good. Sure. And then they come out and stomp them specifically in the second half. Sure. I guess for me, I, I think Duke is really yeah, good. Yeah, and I'm not discrediting. I'll put them both in no, my tier one. No, I know. But I'm also looking at Duke from last year and thinking, wait, where did their best win come from? Mm-hmm. Because their best win in the regular season once was against Wake Forest at home, mm-hmm. Boston College, Virginia Tech, Miami on the road, but we all know Miami was very disappointing last year. Sure. Virginia, North Carolina A&T, Northwestern Temple. I think by that logic, then you would have to say that Duke didn't beat anybody extremely impressive either. If we're going to hold just gonna leave State. out the bowl game with UCF? Yeah. I Yes. I mean, but okay, that's that's the best win at the very end. Is you is UCF in the bowl game a better win than Florida State's LSU victory last year? I don't think so. Okay. So, like, I'm just saying both of those teams are in the same kind of realm, right? If Duke didn't beat anybody that's crazy impressive, if we're going to hold Florida State to that, then that's why I think Duke and Florida State are, you know, like, I think if we're going to believe in one for one reason and the other different. Right, but I have both of them in tier one. You have Florida State clearly head and shoulders over Florida State. But the good thing is they play each other, so we'll get to see. We're going to find out. We're going to find out a lot about this upcoming (laughs) ACC season, and we're going to find out a lot about the Carolina Panthers, what might be happening in this first game against the Atlanta Falcons when Frank Reich speaks to media and also once we get to Sunday it should be a lot of fun as football continues on. So does the Wesson Walker Show. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
Preston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Let's get your thoughts on the tier debate we were just having. We can also get your thoughts on the Carolina Panthers coming up. Copeland, the Jokeland, he said Clemson tier drops. More like it. I like it for the Jokeland. 203 said he laid on the horn and screamed, let's bleep and go at a red light. It's exactly what we want. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, it's true, Roy. It's what he said. (laughs) He he did it at a red light, and it's exactly what we want here on a Wednesday to get us all fired up for more football coming up this weekend, except this time we get to watch the National Football League alongside some college football. And let's go to the Carolina Panthers side of things. Frank Wright going to be, I think, already speaking to media. I know that's what he was scheduled to do, if I'm not mistaken, looking at the schedule that we all get. So we'll see about what Frank Reich is talking about, guys that might be ready to go in this game against the Atlanta Falcons. I wanted to get clarity on some big picture topics though, because again, in football mode, Walker, he's been listening to a lot of pods and I'm stealing content. Thanks to Mina Kimes out there. Thanks to Lenny. Thanks to Josh Norris. Thanks to Bill Barnwell. All great questions. They've been asking, asking about the upcoming NFL season. And for one, I thought it was interesting to get clarity on some of the big picture topics. Like for instance, I'll lead off. Is Miles Sanders going to handle receiving downs for this team? Or are they still going to go with Blackshear because of Miles Sanders' lack of productivity in Philadelphia in that regard? Because they just wouldn't throw the football to their running backs all that much. Jalen Hurts was a running threat on third down, and they were throwing to A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. When Dallas Goddard was healthy, they just didn't need Miles Sanders to do that. And so if we're going to ask something within their control, right? Like, oh, I want clarity on if the Panthers are going to get 10 wins. No, that's not the spirit of the game. The spirit of the game is something that they can control going forward. How do coaches plan to use these guys? How is something going to shake out? And so I thought that Miles Sanders one was interesting that Josh Norris brought to the table because this is someone that could provide a big old impact this year, Wes. If you're talking about leaning on a running back like you did last year, even after McCaffrey was traded, you leaned on a running back effectively so who is backup in Chicago and Deontay Foreman. I know a lot of people like Roshan Johnson in Chicago too. So are we even talking about a guy that splits carries in a backup role with a Roshan Chuba Hubbard still on the team effective in the second half of last season? How much are they going to run the football even after they draft a number one overall quarterback? And how effective is that guy going to be? Especially when you equate I mean, Wes, that was the richest contract that we saw this offseason go to a running back. Miles Sanders, pretty fascinating. A guy we don't talk about as much. I feel like it's because you feel comfortable what floor you're going to get from him. We know what kind of player he is, but there does seem to be more there. And I wonder if Carolina is going to explore that. They're going to try to exploit it in every way that they can. This is a guy that you're talking about playing with the receiving core that's not necessarily going to be super explosive. And so they're going to need him to contribute to the passing game as well. So I think they're going to use him in every way that they can. I mean, he's the only, well, pro bowler, most recent pro bowler on this offense. And so when you put him into the mix, this is a guy that has to be a workhorse back for you. That's what you're paying him for. That's what you brought him in to do. You're hoping to replicate the production that he had last season when he rushed for 1,200 yards. And so I think the expectations on him, and, and we've talked about him to an extent, but I think this is a guy that the Panthers are going to lean heavily on 
as far as uh, what they need from him because right now he's the most decorated of any of the starters when you talk about recent history. So it's going to be fascinating. We didn't get to see him in the preseason. Finally get to see him on Sunday, and hopefully he's everything that you would want him to be and some. All right, so we have an 803 number writing in. If Miles stays healthy, he'll be the MVP of the offense, even more so than a Bryce Young, which it's not crazy at all. If you think Miles Sanders is going to be the guy they lean on, and you don't think Bryce Young is going to throw for 4,000 yards because it's really hard to do, even with 17 games as a rookie, then Miles is going to be the guy, especially if you don't love Chuba. Different regime here, Frank Reich, different offensive staff. So maybe they really lean on Miles Sanders. And we can all remember Camp Confidential, Frank Reich meeting with Miles Sanders. They talked about how they're ready to go with him on third downs and those pass-catching scenarios. So, yeah, I think that question I would like some clarity on. And really it's all about, hey, we're going to leave him out there, right? Like we're going to throw him the football a little bit. He'll have 40 receptions this year. Will he get back to 50? I think he had 50 his rookie season. So I would like some clarity there. What question do you have for the Carolina Panthers? Uh, I think if I could get clarity on something right now, it would be, is Ikea Kwanu going to have that slump, that sophomore slump? Is he going to regress? We saw him this preseason give up uh, a couple of sacks for pressures to be exact, and he gone at a 57.8 uh, offensive grade from PFF when you look at what he was able to do in the 54 snaps that he played during this preseason. We know how important he is to this offensive line. We know how important he is to the health of Bryce Young. And so that's the number one thing I think a lot of people uh, want to know because it's going to be so key because if he does regress this season, I think it sets you back because you felt like when you drafted Bryce Young, you felt like you have because normally the order of operation, you get the quarterback, you get the left tackle, then you start to put the weapons around them uh, in, in some sort of order. But left tackle is definitely a high priority. This organization has been clamoring for a great left tackle since Jordan Gross left. And so if Icky does step back, then you have to start that process all over again because if he doesn't have a good season, the next season he's really going to be on the hot seat to produce. And so I think that's the thing I would like to get clarity on. If you could get clarity on anything at this moment is what type of season is Iki Aquano going to have? And so if you go within the control mantra, do you give him help like you did last year? Does Carolina still plan on chipping the guy that he's blocking, giving him help, or are they going to let him be on an island that didn't work out so well this preseason? Because remember, they told us they were experimenting, and I believe that. I'm sure they were trying some stuff out in the preseason, especially with no Austin Corbett, with your sixth overall pick, needing to take a step up. So if it didn't work out in the preseason, are you going to give this time to bake a little bit in game one, game two, or is that already too long of a wait because we got to win football games? Because this is a team that is trying to win. Even if, even if they're not expecting a Super Bowl this year, they're still trying to win a lot of football games because the division is weak enough, even with people kind of getting on the Saints bandwagon a little bit later. Same thing with the Falcons. Yeah, and Icky, how they use Icky, how much they help him. It's going to be fascinating from game one, from Sunday on, and to see exactly what they do there. Uh, we got some other questions. Yeah, what do you want clarity on this season for the Carolina Panthers? Biscuits and gravy, he wrote in. Will the secondary hold up? It's a great question. Don't know. J.C. Horn has had an injured young history in the NFL so far. Dante Jackson, older player, also still just as injury prone. I said with my medium take, if Dante Jackson is healthy, 
then he'll give us his best season ever as a Carolina Panther. And so I like Dante. That was your spicy take. Oh, that was mild for you, right? And that was medium. That was medium for Dante. So if he's out there, I think the wide receiver talent is weaker because it used to be crazy. It used to be nuts in the NFC South. So now that it's weaker, J.C. Horn taking the number one option. You might even have Mike Evans traded. Same thing with Chris Godwin and Baker Mayfield, as Panther fans know, doesn't scare me. So those are a couple of the questions that I have. And uh, that's why I believe Dante Jackson could be in store for a big year. Going alongside the secondary here, Wes, another question I want clarity on is Jeremy Chin overwhelmingly a nickel corner. Because right now they have him listed at nickel. If you look at last year, the amount of snaps he played in a bunch of different areas, still that chess piece, right? 21, or excuse me, 174 snaps in the box, 179 snaps at free safety, 284 snaps at slot corner. The most he played in a single game was 46, 44, 41, 31. Those are the top four. And they kind of used him a lot like that last year at slot corner. So did Ajero Vero decide to come in and say, hey, man, we're going to make things simple for you. We don't want you to have to worry about all sorts of different stuff. We're going to have you here at slot corner, and that's your position. I actually like what he did this preseason. I know there might be question marks about what Jeremy Chin is going to be as far as you know where you use him, but I saw him make a couple of plays in the backfield. If you're there close to the line of scrimmage, if you are on a corner blitz from the slot position, I think Jeremy Chin can be really effective, especially making some stops in the run game. So if they, I just want to know, do you still want to use him as a real versatile piece or do you want to use him as a slot corner and then maybe have him do a, a few different things from that specific spot? There are so many questions, so much nuance as to what you could expect Jeremy Chin to be. This is a huge, huge season for him, and I think this is also up there as far as what Panthers fans want to see this season. Is he going to go back to just being that guy that's all over the field, causing a lot of ruckus? You don't know where he's going to line up. You don't know where he's going to be, and he's just flying around making plays. We saw glimpses of it this preseason when he was able to break into the backfield, get a couple of TFLs on the preseason. So we were able to see that. And so I think a lot of Panthers fans want to see because this is a huge year for him. This is the put-up-or-shut-up season for him. Is he going to come out and be the Jeremy Chin that everybody loved from his rookie year that was just an absolute terror? Or is this going to be a guy that's just going to be a guy, frankly? Um, What other question do you have that you want clarity on? Anything else you got for us? I think you would have to see, just looking at it right now, what would you get from DJ Chark? We haven't seen him in the preseason. We know this is a guy that was once a 1,000-yard receiver in this league, and so he's supposed to be the deep element uh, of this football team as well when you talk about at his wide receiver post. So you just want to see what are you going to get from him? Is he going to come over here and be healthy and be a very productive player for this franchise? Because I think with Adam Thielen, I think you've seen what you're going to get from him, like the extent of of what he can do. Sure, he may catch a deep ball or two, but we know he's going to be a master at the short and intermediate stuff. But the thing from DJ Chark, Panthers fans haven't been able to see him in live action. What will you get from him when the season begins? Well, his season, because if he doesn't play week one, which it doesn't look like he's going to, then you're going to have to wait just a little bit longer to see what he's going to be able to bring. Yeah, I think my wide receiver question is all about Jonathan Mingo. I'm really starting to heat up on him being the guy. I really am. I gave you that as my mild take. He'll be the leading receiver on this squad. I want to know how much they have him doing at the beginning of the season and on. 
because I can go to a player like Amon Ross St. Brown, who was featured in the first half of the season his rookie year with Detroit, looked like a good player, but wasn't being targeted a ton until, bam, second half of the season explodes. Outlier, when you talk about him being such a late round pick, he was like fourth. So that was a way later pick than what Mingo was. But we did think highly of St. Brown at USC before he made that jump to the pros. With Jonathan Mingo, are they going to use him in motion, gadget guy, just trying to get the football in his hands? Are they going to have him run not sophisticated routes, but routes downfield? You know, routes that are having him be set up as the target more often than the other receivers. I'm fascinated to see how they're going to use Mingo early on and how that uh, continues to progress in the second half of the season. Last one for me, Wes. I'm going to know how many Rams concepts Thomas Brown is going to bring to this organization. Because if you look at the Rams, Sean McVay, their offensive philosophy, one, I think very highly of Sean McVay. Wide zone, Rams like to run a lot of 11 personnel, three wide receivers out there on the field. I could see Thielen, Chark, Jonathan Mingo out there. Those are probably the three you'd go with. Terrace Marshall will be interesting too. And Reich is a West Coast offense guy, but we know Reich will adapt. Reich has shown a history because he's had to with five different starting quarterbacks. Every single season, he's been a head coach with the Colts. You've seen him have to adapt to whatever QB he has. And so I I, I do think he's good at emphasizing the skill set each of these players bring to the table. And I want to know if Thomas Brown brings a lot of Sean McVay philosophies. And they even wrote an article, I believe Augusta Stone did for the Panthers.com, wrote an article about the mix and matching of Thomas Brown's philosophies, Frank Reich. And it does seem to be very open with those two. It does seem to be very, be very open communication. And these guys didn't know each other all that well before Reich decided to bring them aboard. So I, I do wonder just what the mix is here between those two. That is something we could get clarity on. That one we... We might not get as much as the season goes on because they'll want to keep it in-house, right? I, I don't know how much Frank Reich is going to be calling, how much Thomas Brown philosophies will be infiltrating that, but that's one that would be fascinating. It's going to be very interesting because we saw in the preseason how they split it up into halves, and so uh, especially if one is doing something that the other doesn't necessarily agree with, if one of them feels like that the way things are being called that they could do a better job, but they feel like, man, if I could just get in some of those plays that I, I have in mind to work <laughs> against this offense, I think we'd be doing better than what we're doing, especially if this offense struggles. I think that's going to be the toughest part. If the offense can come out and have success early and often, then I think, hey, everything's going to be good to go. But if things aren't going accordingly, then I think – you know, guys are going to feel like that they can maybe do a little bit better job or maybe uh, philosophies could clash. So I think that's a very intriguing aspect that you bring up. Well, and and the thing for me is I, I feel good about Frank Reich as the dude, as the human. There hasn't been much bad about him. I don't think he's not going to be a dictator. This isn't Matt Rule, right? This isn't any coach that, well, it's my way or nothing. Frank Reich doesn't seem to be that guy. I mean, even in preseason, you saw that. Thomas Brown calling plays in the second half. Frank Reich rolling with it in the first. You're talking about, I think it was a 60-40 split with the playbook coming into this regular season. He talked about, hey, there are some things that I'm not used to, and it's certainly uncomfortable. Like, he's willing to admit that, which is good to me because it shows you're actually telling the truth. Yeah, it's difficult for me to admit we might need to go a different direction, but I'm open-minded to it because Thomas Brown is a really smart guy, and he's had nothing 
you would expect it for anybody on the coaching staff, but he's had nothing but praise for Thomas Brown and some of the concepts he's brought to the table. Yeah, and so for my last one that I wondered about as far as getting some clarity is what are you going to get from Justin Houston? Uh, I think a lot was made this offseason about Carolina finding a running partner for Brian Burns on the other side, especially with the potential of Burns not being able to go in the early part of the season with this whole contract deal. So a lot of the pass rush is going to come down to Justin Houston because we know that's what they brought him in for. They brought him in to be a pass rusher. We talked about the fact that he had uh, only a half a sack in the latter half of the season. And so that's going to be something I'm interested to see as well. Didn't participate in training camp. Uh, well, he did, but didn't play in the preseason game. So it's going to be, what are you going to get from him? Will he have a, a rejuvenation of sorts? Because when you look at that season that he had with Baltimore, I mean, he started out the season on a tear. I mean, he went a sack in each of his first two games. Then he went on a tear of two sacks for three consecutive contests with one being uh, two and a half sacks. Now, he had some inactives uh, in the middle between that. But, I mean, he had a stint to where he went three games with six and a half sacks. I mean, are you going to get an eight and a half sack performance from Justin Houston to start the season? Maybe not that exact number, but how is he going to be coming out to start things off? And maybe it's just spread out a little bit. Maybe you get some similar production, but it doesn't come in droves like it does for three weeks, right? Maybe it could be spread out or maybe it just doesn't come at all. And age hits him here. And that would be unfortunate because we already don't have a lot of depth. That pass rusher, Especially if Brian Burns plans on missing no this game and beyond. We'll see. that <laughs> The lack of depth, even already the finite amount that you had, depleting as we sit here talking. It's Wesson Walker Sports <laughs> Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Time now to go to the first Fitty Flash of the day. Fitty. guys a uh, a baseball field flash for you as we're not visiting the mound this week jose altuve homered in each of the first three innings on tuesday night and dating back to monday he homered in four straight plate appearances in five of six of the most in a two-game span in astros history and tied for the most over two games in mlb history and he is the first player since the expansion era which dates back to 1961 to hit a home run in four consecutive innings and the fourth to hit five home runs in six plate appearances, joining many Ramirez, many Ramirez who did so in 1998, Sean Green in 2002. I love Sean Green. And then Josh Hamilton did so in 2012. So, and those were in games because Sean Green had a four homer game. Josh Hamilton had the four homer game. This is a little split up, but still the plate appearances going across two contests. It's crazy because we just talked about Jose Altuve last week about mm -hmm. the kind of image that he still has. If we're going to hold these guys accountable for taking steroids and cheating, are we going to hold the Astro stars that win a World Series with electronic devices under their jersey accountable as well? Because it <laughs> is cheating. And this guy's it's the same thing, though, right? Because he's still very good. He doesn't need the device to showcase just how dominant a baseball player he is. The guy's average on base percentage, power numbers. He's a Hall of Famer based on the numbers, but the Altuve rep, 
that one's going to be very interesting to watch is how the baseball voters view it. Yeah, I think baseball more than any other sport, man. If you cheat, that's a scarlet letter. People are going to look at you with disdain for the rest of your career. You're not going to make the Hall of Fame. Et cetera, et cetera. Other sports, I think people are just like, eh, whatever. All right, so speaking of making the Hall of Fame, is this class, this QB class, going to go in the Hall of Fame as the best ever? We saw a lot of fantastic performances from quarterbacks in college football this past weekend. We'll attempt to answer that question in the Campus Corner coming up next on Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Wes and Walker Show. We should come up with a theme, Walker, since it's Wednesday. Wes and Walker, we talk about all the dubs. We got so many W's around. Dub day? Well, we something like that. I thought our theme was War Cry Wednesday. We didn't know No doubt. One. No doubt about it. But we can have subtitles. You know, Wu-Tang members, they all had different names. You know, Method Man, a.k.a. Johnny Blaze, okay. a.k.a. You know, different stuff like that. So what about War Cry Wednesday. All right. I've got a, a euphoria moment here. For some reason, I was thinking of Wu-Tang Clan, Protect mm-hmm. Your Neck. Especially with Brian Burns, we could have a segment called Protect Your Check. Yeah. Maybe we could do something like that. <laughs> That's what he's doing right now. He's protecting Straight that check. Cash, homie. Protect your check. Maybe we do that. I, I mean, it's it's more of an off season. So like Nick Bosa, Chris Jones, Brian Burns. I like that. They're very much vibing to protect like your that. check you right still now. Still haven't watched the show either. I have not. I know. Yeah. There's how many have you put me on that you're angry with me have not it's, watched? It's a few, man. <laughs> I try to keep my anger at bay, but I'm just like, <laughs> Wu-Tang might be number one, though, because I'm like, you're such a hip-hop head, and the show is so good. The Wu- Wu-Tang is the one. Yeah, it's one. so good, man. You'll love it. But anyway. Protect your check. Hit us up on the text line, 704-570-9610. Hit that follow button, WFNZ on Twitter and Instagram, at Wesson Walker on Twitter, at Wes Bryant underscore 72, at Walker Mail, at HTB underscore Josh on Twitter, and Instagram, hit those follow buttons, and we appreciate the followers that we do have. We're getting not necessarily close to a thousand, but we're three quarters of the way there on Twitter, man. So help us get to a thousand. And now it is time for the campus counter. Listen, man, another component to the opening weekend of college football, whether you want to count week zero as opening weekend or week one. Listen, This quarterback class, phenomenal, okay? When you talk about the potential, if Shadour Sanders continues to play how he's playing, you add him to the mix of Caleb Williams, Drake May, 
Bo Nix, whether you like him or not, I'm not the biggest Bo Nix fan, but this is a guy that still is probably going to be a first-round pick. Michael Penix, Riley Leonard, Jordan Travis, Quinn Ewers, Jaden Daniels, I mean, J.J. McCarthy, K.J. Jefferson. There are some really, really good quarterbacks in this class. I think there's going to be a lot of action at the top of this draft, especially I think that Shador Sanders is going to play his way into the top five alongside Drake May and Caleb Williams as this season progresses. I mean, Walker, what do you make about this class? Do you feel like this could be the best quarterback class ever when you just talk about depth? I mean, I know we had the 1983 quarterback class and some of those. But, man, this class looks like it is shaping up to be something serious. I mean, so if we just go recent history, I'm trying to look at some that might even come close to what this class can do. And they obviously have to deliver on the height. But just based off our evaluation of what they do in college, yeah, this this class is getting out of control. If we look at 2018, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson. That was pretty highly anticipated to see all those guys. Now, Baker doesn't work out. Sam Darnold is a backup with San Francisco. Josh Rosen doesn't work out. Josh Allen absolutely does. And Lamar Jackson absolutely does. So top heavy, you're talking about two of the top what? I mean, you could argue top five. I don't want to do the QB rank thing. You get the idea. There are people that probably have both of those QBs in their top five. And everybody else is either out of the league or a backup. So five guys in the first round. That's the one I go back to, Wes. I don't know if you had a class in mind, but yeah, Caleb Williams, Drake May, both being 100% number one overall picks in a lot of different drafts that don't include each other. And then Shador, uh, I'd like to be a part of this party. I'll just throw for 500 yards immediately. Okay, yeah, welcome to the party, Shador. This thing could be crazy, and I can't wait to see how this all unfolds. Well, the thing is, too, with that class that you named, there were a lot of guys that people were kind of uncertain about though as far as and no guys a certainty in a draft yeah but when you talk about josh allen people had their knocks on him but he looked like he was a really good prospect but josh rosen was another guy that people were kind of like yeah he'll be a first rounder Love but you're like eh, josh rosen. i did too Way especially out. coming out of high school <laughs> yeah but when you look at caleb williams drake may possibly shador sanders like, these are guys that people are looking at and feeling like yeah. they can't miss. And that's the difference with these guys. You're looking at them like, man, these guys. No, can't. you're right. You're you're completely right. I mean, even if we go to a Tua Justin Herbert back-to-back, right? I mean, those guys had question marks. Tua more so the size before we just leaned all the way into not caring about how tall you were with Kyler Murray. Even Sam Howe getting drafted a little bit later. But then Bryce Young being the number one overall pick. So, you're right about that. Drake May, no one feels any it, you have zero remorse there's nothing there's nothing you're worried about with drake may enough to deter you from selecting him same thing with caleb williams and shador as long as we get the consistency which we got it last year if he continues to do anything close to what he did in week one every game then yeah top five pick is going to be written all over and then a big piece of news just dropped on x or twitter whichever you prefer Dove climbing the aggregate God said, according <laughs> to GQ magazine, Caleb Williams is willing to stay in school if he doesn't want to play for the team with the first pick in the draft. His father, Carl Williams, said that his son could stay at USC for an extra year if he doesn't like the environment of the team holding the number one pick of the 2024 draft. 
And so this is an interesting development. He says, quote, the funky thing about the NFL draft process is he'd almost be better off not being drafted than being drafted first. System is completely backwards. The way the system is constructed, you go to the worst possible situation. So I don't like this. I feel like, you know, when you're going to be the number one pick of the draft, you're probably going to be on a bad team. You just have to grin and bear it and figure it out. I feel like that's part of the responsibility. But this is also a byproduct more than ever of the NIL era because if you're Caleb Williams, you're playing football in sunny, beautiful, gorgeous Southern California. You're already making millions of dollars as a player. How much incentive would you have to go to a city you don't like to go play for a team you don't like when you could come back for another season in sunny, beautiful, gorgeous (laughs) Southern California, be a national championship favorite, and making millions of dollars. Well, yeah, and we've seen other quarterbacks do this before, but you're right. Yeah, but they weren't getting the M's in college, yeah. It makes it easier. It absolutely makes it easier for Caleb Williams. And if you feel like Arizona largely projected to get the number one overall pick and even number two, owning another selection in there. If you think they're going to get that pick and you just don't think the Cardinals are a team that you would like to play for, then Caleb Williams can go back to school, make some money, as you mentioned, and possibly win a title with USC. And so I understand it. I know you don't love it. Uh, For me, I, I have no problem with a guy not... Because think about it. If you get drafted and you go to an organization, okay, even if you're a sure thing... We know a lot of your success is based off the situation you're in at that time. Sure. And so if you don't trust the situation that you're in and you sacrifice the first year, two, three, however long your contract plays out before you eventually potentially get traded like a Trey Lance, then I understand you finagling it so much so to the point where you get to be drafted by a team that you're better off going to in your mind than whoever has the number one overall selection. You talk about money getting played with. A bad situation will take money out of your pocket big time, and especially if... You know, there's just a lot of different things that you might not want to deal with. So I understand where Caleb is coming. And also add to the mix, what if you win a second consecutive Heisman, the first guy to do it since Archie Griffin? He'll be making more money than a lot of pro quarterbacks. Now, not a whole lot because we know how much those guys make. But he'd be making so much money if he came back just to chase alone for a possible third Heisman, even though we feel like that would be out of the stratosphere. Right. If USC gets to the national championship game, wins the national championship, oh, his his money, he'd be good. So I'm not for it personally, but I could understand where the thought process comes from. But when we come back, we're going to pocket watch just a little bit more yeah, and true. talk about Brian Burns. Is he practicing today? Is he going to play on Sunday if the bag is not there yet, that and more on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.